You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops podcast, brought to you by Sound Talent Media, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. I hope you guys have had a great weekend. I personally had an amazing weekend. I took the time to relax, to sit back and enjoy some time with my family, and that is always the best way for me to recuperate. This is a Heavy Montreal Presents Vox and Hops episode. Heavy Montreal is Montreal's premier metal promoter. They put on a bunch of sick shows throughout the year with all of your favorite bands. And on top of that, they put on one of North America's best metal festivals. Trust me, people, when I say this, that is the truth because I have played them all. I'm super stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops podcast. Today's episode is a monumental episode because it is with a guest that I would have never imagined to have had the chance to sit down and share a brew with and have a conversation. Get ready, people. Today, I am with Trey Spruance of Mr. Bungle and Secret Chiefs 3. This is Vox and Hops episode number 196. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today I'm with Trey Spruance of Mr. Bungle, Secret Chief 3. I am uh, super, super stoked to be with you. I have been a fan for for as long as I've been listening to music, uh, late 1990s. Let's start with a, a complex yet uh, fun question that I've been throwing people uh, recently. Uh, how have you been coping with 2020? It's a complicated question. Um, I'm sure it is for everybody, you know. Uh, it's been... I shouldn't say it's not as bad as it should be for me because I have been through some weird stuff. Like for example, the, um, the whole forest area that I've been living in t- for 20 years burned down. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, it was, that was pretty, pretty fucked up. I have to say, not like I didn't see it coming. Um, you know, I had two acres, um, like way at the end of this windy mountain road up there. And the, you know, it's 200 foot redwood trees. So there's a lot of forest management that you have to do for a very long time. I was, you know, heating my house with a, with a wood from the underbrush and basically like a tan oaks and smaller trees and stuff that you have to cut to get rid of fire danger. So years and years and years of wasting my life doing that shit instead of making music. <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I had so many motives to, to okay, I got to get out of here, you know. Not the least of which being the fact that there will be a fire at some point. It's California. It's a huge forest. Global warming, all that. And also sort of there's been problems with, you know, there's, there's more and more uh, homeless population in the area that are coming up into the mountains and starting forest fires accidentally because they're cooking their food and they kick over the Bunsen burner and you know it's just like oh man we, I gotta get out of here so uh, anyway I won't tell you the whole story there it's a long boring story but basically um, once the pandemic hit like the house wasn't selling we took it off the market but once the pandemic hit and uh, we relisted it there were buyers like all over the place and like all of them were from San Francisco, which is like within a hundred miles. Um, 
reason for that is because that, that town has turned into like this fucking dystopia. I mean, it, all, it always was. It didn't turn into it. Everybody just kind of had their blinders on over the last however many decades. It's a hard place to, to walk down the street and pretend like you're in a nice place. Hmm. The, the pandemic hit and it really affected things to the point where the people who had the means, a lot of them wanted to get the fuck out of there. And where did they want to come? Run to the hills. Makes sense. I get it. I did the same thing in 1999. I, I did it. So, okay. But, you know, good. That was nice. Had a buyer. 20 days after the house sold, the lightning complex fire hits. You know, and like the whole neighborhood that I was living in, like that that whole area, it, 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 was, it was saved ultimately because it's near a university nature preserve that was a high priority for the firefighters. But around there was like where the fire was really at one of its most intense places, completely destroyed a whole bunch of homes nearby. Um, we were lucky. I had my stuff in storage, but it was under threat because it was all, everything, all my instruments, my hard drives, all my music that I'm working on. Oh my God. Documents, memorabilia, you know, <laughs> record collection, book collection, you know, it's all there. Like, fuck. <laughs> so my wife and I got a big like 26 foot truck and drove 13 hours like as soon as the fire hit we're like we're going up there we're going to get as much as we can just throw it in the truck and the town that we were in while we were throwing stuff in the truck by ourselves sweating with ashes falling from the sky and this crazy smell the the evacuation sirens start going off I mean it's very fucking dramatic I'm just saying like yeah it's been 2020 has been weird but it's like a movie (laughs) yeah it was fucking so crazy um, but bottom line, I got out of there. I was so lucky. I've been trying, like the last three years I've been renovating the house, trying to sell it, getting so frustrated because it wouldn't sell. And finally it happened and it happened just in time for us. I kind of have a survivor's guilt about it because nobody else, you know, our friends in the area, like nobody has done well. It's really a, a fucked up situation. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so when you were saying forest management, you mean Trump was actually saying the truth on that i thought i thought i didn't comprehend that i didn't really watch the the trump fucking bullshit about it i'm not i'm not political at all and i'm just he he spouted that there needs to be more forest management to avoid having forest fires well there's just absolutely no doubt about that i mean actually i remember schwarzenegger said that stuff and people had the same reaction back then because he was a republican and all that but now he's he's liked because he's considered an environmentalist um, so I guess it's okay that he said that anybody who lives in a forest for 20 years will realize, uh, after a while what the cycles are. And if you don't clean up all of the tan oak leaves uh, and branches and all of the twigs and all that shit that falls on the ground, your friend comes over, smokes a cigarette and he's from Los Angeles and doesn't realize like, uh, you know, it catches on fire. Really? Forest fire. Yeah. I mean, holy shit. Okay. Cause we're in droughts. It's, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. filled with drought. So all of that underbrush, it's irresponsible just to leave it laying around that that's for sure. The other problem is that the area was clear cut a hundred years ago. So what would have been a very hardy redwood forest is now a very diverse redwood, fir, tan oak, madrone, and all kinds of little scrub everywhere. It's just a total chaos. So that's, that's what you're up against. And it's kind of unmanageable. I have to say it's, it's up to each person to, to do that. And 
I mean, I can understand people not doing it. It was it's very exhausting work. Yeah, that's what, as you were saying, you could have written how many more albums if you hadn't done it, but you did. It's literally <laughs> the truth. Literally the truth. As you take a sip, this is perfect Fox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives, music, and craft beer. Now, I know you don't drink, so what are you drinking on your side there? I do drink a little bit, but um, I'm drinking just a uh, a coffee. Very cool, yes. Out of my Confusion Hill Cup. Damn right, yes. On my side, I'm going to be enjoying uh, Lamb of God's Ghost Walker IPA. This was the beer that was brewed for them by BrewDog USA. This is a non-alcoholic IPA. It is honestly probably one of the best ones I've ever had because I normally don't like non-alcoholic beer, but this one really hits the mark. Uh, thanks to uh, Randy Bly for making sure I got this in my hand. Uh, let's uh, talk about that since you do drink a little bit. Do you enjoy beer at all? I do, yeah. Some, like, um, I guess I'm kind of a girl beer kind of guy because I'm into creek and that kind of thing. You know, lambic ales are. are hey, yeah, fuck yeah. And uh, I love the rude, like the red beers when they're good. They're like the best thing I've ever put in my mouth. So good. Stuff like that. And, you know, like a good half of ice and type of stuff. I'm into that. I'm not so much an IPA guy or. Um, I'm not. I used to be able to handle like more dark beer stuff. And now it's like, I, I can only get excited if, like a golden rock or something I'm into, but I don't know. I'm not as into the, uh, like shimes as I used to be and that kind of stuff. Very heavy shimes. <laughs> Actually it was Yuri. Yuri turned me on to La Fin du Monde, which was, you know, that was, he probably got me started on, on that, to be honest, because he drank so much of that stuff. You know, it's funny. Yuri is responsible for my craft beer journey as well. <laughs> such a bad influence absolutely i was gonna wait for later to bring him up but uh let's dive right into yuri raymond who is a vox and Hops alumni is uh played in cryptopsy for a few years he helped guide my vocal uh, development when he was in the band he was very key and influential for that aspect of my life and uh, he's told me this story and and i believe he said it when i had him on the podcast but i, I would like to have your side of this story he's been saying it for years and i, I, I would like to get some confirmation not that i don't trust him <laughs> <laughs> and that story is he was sitting in his house one day all of a sudden the phone rings he picks it up and you are on the phone asking him to do vocals for an album which i know that he has done so i know that part is true but then he didn't believe it was you so he told me that he said you just come to my house and he totally thought that he was getting pranked by some friend and lo and behold you were walking up the street and you were there how much of that is true that's true. He he told me the same thing, and I didn't believe him either. It, did, it, it didn't seem like. But then, as as I spent some time there, I realized that yeah, he hadn't like. It's not like there was anything to prepare for because I didn't give him any music to to think about. But I could tell he wasn't he wasn't really ready for it, uh, uh, just on a logistical level. So then he was like, "Holy shit, we're doing this!" You know, and it, it was. I, it took me a day or so to. To realize, yeah, he, he didn't believe that I, that it was me and that I was going to show up. Okay, so so backstory. How did you hear about Yuri? Uh, how did you discover him? He's got an amazing, amazing voice, probably one of the best in the world. So so where did you discover Yuri Remo? It might have been the Secret Chiefs Stratosphere Tour. It might have been after that. But I know that um, somebody in the Stratosphere had been hanging out with him and he had done all of his you know, kind of 
crazy voices. voices. <laughs> yeah. And they had a little a recording of it. And um, if I remember right, and it was it was exactly what I was looking for because I've been looking for for a vocalist to do. I mean, not necessarily exactly the thing that he specializes in, but I needed a lot of versatility, you know. And he has so many different voices. I like, you know, instead of asking ten people to do it, like on Secret Chiefs records, there's a lot of, you know, sometimes there's like five drummers on a record, or you know, just people having specific skill sets. And here's a guy who could do it all. So. I just hit him up and I, I don't know. I just had the faith. I could tell that he'd be able to handle it just from talking to him, even though he thought that I was pranking him. I was just like a bullshitter. <laughs> he, he, I, he gave me confidence. So I'm like, all right, I'll fly up there and we'll do it. That's insane. It's insane. And he, he really is one of the best and he's, he's quite the character as a human. I love him to death. Um, so you went up there, he was drinking a lot of fans and moaned. You guys recorded that record. He, he subsequently mentioned to me that he was going to be on another one. Is that, is that also truth? Totally. We recorded, uh, like a year or two ago. Um, I have two Holy Vem records coming and I've been working on them for like, this is the thing doing all of the renovation and the, the work at the house has in the last three years has slowed my, my output down a lot. Those records would have been out like a year and a half ago, like before this Mr. Bungle thrash metal stuff. Now they're going to come out after that and people are going to be like, how come Trey's doing all this metal all of a sudden? <laughs> <laughs> but the recording with, with Yuri was done. Yeah. Like two years ago, I guess. Jesus. Um, and that's one of the records uh, and then I'm going to, I'm going to ask him to do some stuff on the the other record too. It's going to be a few different vocalists. Very cool. Very cool. Well, good for him. And, and he was telling the truth. So, so hat off to you. You're, 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 you're a man of your word. <laughs> Not that I didn't believe you, but it, it just seemed too far fetched for me for it to be true, but it was true. So that's, that's good to hear. I mean, why wouldn't it be true? He's like you say, he's one of the greats. I, I can't believe it's, it's really unfortunate that he can't travel to the United States. It's what's kept him from being more well known i think because he's he's a he's a real talent absolutely and <laughs> those voices that he makes he he, he does that all the time <laughs> especially when he's having a, a few too many <laughs> fine craft beers <laughs> the one thing he couldn't do when when i had him originally doing the holy vem stuff is uh he couldn't do the kind of war metal hmm. he wasn't really I, I was really trying to get him to do that and was, he couldn't relate to it. And then this last time when I went up there, he's like, I can do that shit now. And he, can, he can totally do the war metal stuff. No, when he puts his mind to something, he, he obtains it. And I, I, I love him dearly. So, so cheers to you, Yuri. For um, sure. Let's go dive into a classic Vox and Hops question. Um, take me back to your youth. When you were growing up in your parents or guardian's house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? <laughs> My dad was playing... Uh, Poulenc, uh, organ concerto, organ and timpani, uh, Stravinsky, Rite of Spring. I mean, I had a good education in, in dissonant 20th century classical music. I mean, he'd be playing Tchaikovsky, some Mozart too, you know. Um, he's, he's a classical buff, playing jazz, playing more like kind of like George Shearing kind of jazz. Um, not so much hard bop, really. He's, my dad's very much like uh, 40s and 50s kind of uh, aesthetic in his jazz listening. But his his 20th century classical thing was... Pre- I mean, he wasn't listening to Boulez, but he was he was listening to like the more dissonant early 20th century music. So I was real lucky to 
have that in my DNA, like before I even heard metal. Which is amazing. And it, it just gives you this whole structure in your mind for it to just grow and go elsewhere, which is awesome. Take me to that first show, not your first time on stage, but the first time you saw a live performance of a band or an act. Let's see. I mean, we live pretty remote, you know, up in Eureka, it's 350 miles from the nearest population center that has like venues and kind of stuff. Um, we had small venues. Oh, but bands like, like Sammy Hagar came through. I didn't see it. Cheap trick came through. So there were big bands that came to like the gym at the university. I never saw any of that. I think my first, my first show show. Man, this is, it's weird. I've never been asked this question, but I think the first time I went to like a club and saw a show was uh, a gig that I played. It was Torture. Really? The, my band from before, Mr. Bungle, uh, opening for Fiend, which is the band that Mike and Trevor had, like a playing, you know, death thrash metal cover bands. I think that was the first time I was ever in a club. I, I was 14. Wow. Why would I have ever been in a exactly. club before that? You know, yeah, <laughs> I, that must have been it. And that first show, do you remember that moment on stage, uh, the butterflies, the, the, were they there? Is that something that you remember? I remember it very clearly. Um, we had, I was too shy to talk to the audience uh, and it was an instrumental band so you have no <laughs> so a friend of of mine johnny johnny lopez who played guitar he actually played guitar in that band um up until that point <laughs> for some reason he was the mc for the band so between songs <laughs> yeah he's like he's up there like 15 16 like chain smoking <laughs> on stage sitting by my amp changing my fucking guitar pedals for me like changing the tube screen wow like doing my pedals for me the only time i've ever had anybody do that was my first <laughs> gig chain smoking and then like in between songs coming up and you know asking people to be patient for the next band <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> I would like to talk about Montreal because I'm from Montreal and this is a heavy Montreal presents Vox and Hops episode. So I like to shine a little light on Montreal. Do you remember your first time playing Montreal? Do you have any memories of playing Montreal? Absolutely. Uh, geez. Okay. I don't know which was first. Uh, did Mr. Bungle play in Disco Volante? I don't remember whether we played in Montreal in the Disco Volante tour. Uh, I remember Secret Chiefs playing at the Fufun Electronic, uh, or is it Electric? I don't know. Fufun Electric. Electric. That that was very memorable show. Um, that was the first time with Secret Chiefs that I ever felt that an entire audience absolutely got it. Hmm. Like they absolutely, like the whole audience absolutely got what we were doing. Before that, it was always sort of you know. You have some bungle people that are kind of open-minded. You have some unsuspecting people that got dragged to the show. And you got a few diehards who are like really paying attention. At that show, it was the whole audience just like completely magnetically fixated on what we're doing and, and really feeling it. Like and we, we felt that from them and it just got better and better as the night went on. That was really one of my favorite Secret Chief shows of all time was, was that. Very cool. And it is it stems back to Montreal being... 
uh, exposed to prog music very early and just loving it in the 70s, uh, getting those early, early shows coming through. And and just the love of extreme music and uh, in Montreal, it's it's been pertinent from the 90s onwards. What You know, the scene here is on fire. It's crazy. That's awesome. It is crazy. I mean, uh, we came back and we played La Tulipe, which is another gr- really memorable, great... I mean, it's just a good just a very cultivated audience there that, um, I mean, we've played a lot since then, but, um, I think also I have to say, even though it's not Montreal, but you know, Quebec, uh, Voivod was on our radar from the very beginning, you know, playing the thrash stuff. Um, and I felt like that was maybe that established in outside of of Quebec, it maybe established the perception of at least in America that this place is kind of ahead of everywhere. They have a more advanced, you know, harmonic stuff going on. They just have a, a completely outside the box. It's not bar chords, you know. It's not all in four four. It's changing constantly. For us and Mr. Bungle, this appealed greatly. So our impression from from the very early days was like, what the hell's going on up there? You know, we got to get up there someday. Awesome. That makes me very happy to hear that. And uh, we'd be very happy to have you back. If I was I was somewhat disappointed there was no Montreal date on those very limited dates that you guys did do. I know. It sucks. I mean, we were planning on doing more, but, you know, then really? all the shit yeah, happened. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very cool. And my bassist, Ollie Pienard, plays in Cattle Decapitation, and he opened one of those gigs for you, and he said it was amazing. I met him. Yeah, yeah. Very cool. <laughs> Small world. I love it. I love it. You also uh, dabble in production, producing. You uh, produced probably, it's definitely on my top 10 of the year, uh, Imperial Triumphant, Alphaville. What a great fucking record. Uh, the production's amazing, stellar. Uh, talk to me about that. Talk to me about uh, how you enjoy producing and your experience with that record in particular. Yeah, I mean, I love it. It's I'm, I'm really used to producing my own records. You know, it's what I spend playing and and composing is a small amount of time compared to production especially on secret chiefs records also the production work on mr bungle records um so if i do production work for somebody else it has to be something that i really can relate to and uh you know imperial triumphant has kenny who plays in secret chiefs uh but you know when i i, I was aware of their music and i'd really love via luxury um, and then I saw them play live. I wasn't really sure what the, you know, what the difference between live and, uh, and recording was going to be. And when I heard them play, I was like, man, you could do so much with this, <laughs> this, you know, just the little tweaks. It's not like changing it. It's just bringing things like bow relief, you know, bringing stuff into these kind of focused, sharp little edges and then let, letting them go back into the haze. They're very hazy bands, which I understand. Um, so we talked about it and they had just gotten the, the record deal with Century Media. So they had to, had the means to make it happen. And, um, it was cool cause we, you know, we went out to Colin's studio, Colin Marston, and, you know, he had, he tracked that record, you know, I wasn't there for the tracking and, um, you know, his, his aesthetic is, is already inherent and already works with, uh, Imperial Triumphant. It's not like he's a transparent engineer that, you know, just captures exactly what the band is doing and nothing else. Like he's, he, 
his his stamp is there on that. And um, while that was happening, I was working on working off of early um, some early tracking that they had done, adding musical ideas and some production sort of stuff that I do, making stems out of all of that stuff. So I prepared a whole bunch of stuff that then we would assemble um, when we got to Colin's studio. And that all came at the same time as a bunch of other things that they had done, which is, you know, having a, a kind of choir tracks, the stuff with Thomas Hawk, like a whole bunch so of cool. other. Yeah. They, you know, they have, they have their, a lot of ideas. So the process of bringing all of that together and making it make sense was really like what the, the main work while I was there was about um, kind of having a, um, I mean, I have certain things that, that I like to do when it comes to featuring drums uh, or certain elements of drums. And that stuff usually has to happen like in the mix. It can't really happen in mastering, but I ended up like mastering the record, which I didn't really know that that was going to be the way it went. But as it turned out, like it was, it was absolutely the most important part of what I did for that record was the mastering job actually, because it's, it's a delicate thing. It's a very delicate thing. And originally I had probably taken it. I, it, it was such a good sign because I'm getting all the, I'm getting some objections. Like it sounds too, sounds too modern. It's too good, too punchy, too clear. I can hear everything too much <laughs> yeah. in mastering, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, that's like, holy shit. Wow, I'm pretty good. So you're like backing off on that and getting it back into the, the hazy thing that it needs to be to be that band appropriately. It was a, that was a really, really fun and rewarding process for, for me. I'm very meticulous in the mastering stage, like ridiculously so. So that it was, you know, I had never actually mastered somebody else's metal record before. And uh, I feel like it's something I totally have in my wheelhouse now. I'm pretty excited about it. Cool. So, so uh, more bands out there, uh, send Trey some work for some mastering because uh, he knows what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look at all this shit. I'm, I've got go. I'm building a studio right now because I, you know, I moved out of my old house, exactly so I, new place. And fuck, man, this this is place is going to be pretty dope. Awesome, awesome. Um, I would like to talk, obviously, a little bit about Mr. Bungle. You guys have a new record coming out, which you know it, it, it can only happen in 2020 that Mr. Bungle <laughs> is finally putting out a new record, which is not really a new record, which is. <laughs> A re-recording of an, an old record, which is amazing. The Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo. So, 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 tell, take me about this. I don't want to. I'm sure you've spoken about this a bit too much with a bunch of other press. But um, how does it feel? I know for myself, if I were to go back to my first or second bands demo and re-record it, I would feel weird. It would it must feel very strange revisiting riffs that you've written so long ago. I think the the thing that we felt this whole time was that music never had a, had a fair shake. It was recorded on my Porta one Tascam four track, you know, and with two mics on the drums and, you know, just a, just a mess. And all of the, I mean, that's the foundational music of, of Mr. Bungle. It's the beginning of the band. So it's stuff that we have like, completely in our blood um i think one of our late shows like the the new year's eve 2000 we actually played sudden death all the way through like the longest song on the demo 
So it was like, you know, it was still fresh then. It's still fresh for me. You know, I've always had those riffs like just in, in me. Um, but nobody else did because it sounded like shit, you know, (laughs) and nobody else could, could share in the the feeling that we had about that music, except for really, really committed, like, you know, metalheads from 85, 86, 87, who were trading tapes. Um, and there were, you know, it went around in that scene, but it was very underground and, you know, it just never got a, never got its fair shake. So actually revisiting it was more like, Finally, you know, hmm. finally people are going to know what this, the, what the foundation of this band really is. Like the arranging is parallel to, to the stuff that you hear on the later records. The, the, the logic of the arrangements are, all of the seeds of that are there right in this, in this early thrash death metal demo tape. And you guys got a super group, which is just incredible. You know, Scott and Dave coming in just to, it's it's incredible it's it's uh, i am super excited i've only heard the two tracks that are out right now uh, it's coming out on october 30th via ipecac everyone check it out buy it um support it enjoy it it's a uh, it's been 30 almost 30 years in the making 35 35 i'm not good at math <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was i was 15 when we when we did the original one so it's yeah it's like it's a good chunk of time. Wow. Finally. Did you like revamp some riffs or did you re- were you truly true to the riffs? Absolutely true to it. Very cool. I mean, the, the whole point of it was to, to be, well, think of it this way. You just brought up, you know, that Lombardo and Scott Ian are on that record. I mean, imagine if, you know, I'm 15 and I get to have Scott Ian and Dave Lombardo in my band. Yeah, yeah. That's what we're trying to capture. Like, you know, if we have this weaponry <laughs> in our possession... You know, the dream fucking band of from 85, 86 or whatever, you know, that's what we're going for. Let's, let's make it like that. It, it's not about making some new record or, you know, trying to compete with modern metal or anything like that. Just try to do it the way, the way it would have been done back then. That's very cool. That's like, you basically, you're like Bill and Tedding yourself <laughs> climbing into the phone booth and going back in time. And you could tell yourself this, you would never believe it. Absolutely. That's perfect. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I want to talk about your label. You also have a, a label, Web of Mimicry. Uh, is that was that just you guys were signed to to Warner, uh, Mr. Bungle? That is throughout all the nineties. Was you and Patton went on to form uh, record labels around the same time, both different. Uh, was that sort of to just cut all ties of having any obligations to anyone, and you could just do whatever you want because Warner is a huge, 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 huge label that probably had a lot of limitations on you guys. Actually, Warner didn't care at all about us. Probably cared about Mike, but didn't care about me. Didn't care <laughs> one bit what I did. Um, but the first Secret Chiefs record, which is 96, came out on Amarillo Records, um, which is distributed by Revolver USA. And the second one did too, which is 98. And then when he, when Greg Turkington, Neil Hamburger, folded Amarillo Records, um, Revolver, I talked to Revolver. They actually asked me if I wanted to continue to do Secret Chief stuff under my own imprint. So that's that was actually the beginning of of, of Web of Mimicry. It was 1998, I think a year before Ipecac. Um, you know, I started putting out Secret Chiefs records and then also had the opportunity to put out other bands. The one requirement, since there's no money... 
<laughs> yes. um, they had to be just like me, which is completely self-sufficient, able to record their own music and produce their own music and get it up to a certain standard where I could be confident that it was something that wouldn't just sit there. And um, that's been the philosophy of the label ever since. It's Maybe now it's a little foggier because everybody does things a little bit more that way now. But back then, I mean, there was nobody doing, nobody producing their own records and you know, having their own studios and taking it from start to finish, the, the, the writing, recording process, and then handing the finished product to the record label. That was a totally weird concept for a record label back then. Yeah, you've, you've always been avant-garde. <laughs> just poor. <laughs> it's true because a lot of bands back in the day, they would just have come up with the excuse, oh, we need a label so that we can afford to go to a studio. And then, right. you know, but uh, you, you hustled and you got it done yourself, which is amazing. But the whole thing of depending on a record label for anything, I guess what I needed was people who were more committed than that. People who had not take no for an answer and do it themselves and make it good, you know, because it's, their pride wouldn't allow them to suck kind of thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, now, where do you think people will finally get to see you guys play again? 2020 has been a rough year. The pandemic is far from over. Uh, I'm imagining for myself with Cryptopsy, nothing before the end of 2021. Best case scenario, 2022. Are you on that path too? Uh, how do you feel about bands that are running out there to play already? Man. I mean, I'm glad that I have, I have a, a lot of different hats that I wear. And if it was, if my only hat was Mr. Bungle or my only, like before this, the Bungle stuff happened, Secret Chiefs, for example, like dead in the water. There's nothing you could do until further notice, until venues recover, you know. But like I have other things that I'm, you know, like I'm, uh, I'm writing a ballet, uh, writing a piece for a ballet Very cool. company in San Francisco. So I've like been working on that. And there's a lot of other like musical things that I invest my time in. Um, also just recordings that I know are going to come out down the road. It's always been like that for, for me anyway. I mean, there's five year periods where nothing happens and then records come out and I go on tour. So I'm, I, I'm super lucky. I have the ability to lay low through all of this stuff and kind of hopefully wait and survive the whole fucking shit. But I really, really, it really hurts me that, you know, everyone else that I know pretty much who are musicians, they don't, they can't, they, they can't have, they can't diversify that way and have it um, not, not affect them so directly. It's so terrible how, how fucked up the whole thing is for, for musicians. It's absolutely the nightmare. Absolutely. So everyone listening, support the artists you love because we want them to stay safe and not run out there because they feel like they have to. As if we didn't have enough strikes against us with a fucking Spotify <laughs> and, you know, and like a ticket scalping and AEG kind of fucking, you know, all these huge companies controlling everything before the pandemic as if it wasn't hard enough, impossible enough. Because I believe me, I have, I have my foot in two different worlds here and I know the other side of it all too well hmm. it was a nightmare and now it's like an even worse nightmare you know, all you hope for is that okay people become aware of how how bad it is for for artists and hopefully 
hopefully there can be some motivation to address some of that shit now. Absolutely. That would be amazing. Uh, last time you did come through Montreal, you didn't come through Montreal. You played in St. Therese. Oh, yeah. In a very, very small club. I was there. Uh, that was actually the first time I've ever seen you. And funnily enough, it was a very, very small room. And, and we came face to face and... I didn't move left, and when you didn't move left, and I didn't move right, and we totally just bumped into each other. <laughs> which, which, and then afterwards, when you climbed on stage, I was like, "Oh my god, that's him!" Okay, I was like, "Okay." <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was a great show. I, I went there with the guy that showed me Mr. Bungle's Secret Chiefs. Uh, shout out to Vince Berardinucci. Um, we had a great night that night, and uh, your lineup was pure fire. Your drummer was amazing. It was so good. <laughs> And you had the yeah. basis of Intronaut, which I which I had written down his name for this. Joe, Joe Lester, yeah. Exactly. It was a mammoth of a show. So much fun. Yeah, you know, I actually really have fond memories of that show, too. And yeah, it just goes to show, you know, it's you can show up at a venue and be like, man, what the hell are we doing here? I can Playing imagine, the, yeah. You know? <laughs> but then, you know, people start showing up in other bands and stuff and, you know, you make... It's not just that you make the best out of it. Sometimes that is the best. And that was one of those shows where it's like, man, nothing wrong with this, this situation. I wouldn't want to be like stuck way in the back watching it. You know, it's a little awkward for the audience to be in mismatched, you know, to have a, a band mismatched to a venue like that. <laughs> but, on, but on the other hand, it, it, there can be some magic in that shit too. Yeah, and it sounded really good too, actually. It was, it was great. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that band, like, a, and so... That was also a band that had been the membership of that version of Secret Chiefs was somewhat curated for the Dead Cross tour that we had been on, um, because you know the the lineup in Secret Chiefs changes all the time, instrumentations changing all the time, and that one was actually very much honed to be focusing on the heavy side of things. So, yeah, with Pejma on the, the that drummer and so Joe good on the bass, what a They'd never played together before. That's what another thing I love about being band leader, wearing the band leader hat uh, in Secret Chiefs is pairing up musicians that have are from different worlds because you know that they're going to work together really, really beautifully. And that was that that lineup was a case in point. Like you know, probably shouldn't have worked. You know, two guitars with a microtonal fretting, yes, and, a, uh, and this power rhythm section and the, our keyboard player from outer space, but. I I've, I really look fondly back on that tour and that lineup. That was a good one. It was amazing. How how incremental was that tour for this Mr. Bungle demo happening? You going out on the road with Lombardo and Patton on, with Dead Cross. I, I, I'm just imagining you guys being backstage and this is where the whole thing happened. A, a little bit. It happened at one show uh, when Trevor showed up in Brooklyn so there it is like the sort of the core group and Trevor had, had had the idea of doing, you know, I mean, look at when you're in Mr. Bungle and you know, you don't play for 20 years, you got people coming up to you like when's the reunion, you know, all, like a hundred percent of the time when I go out on tour with secret cheese, all I'm hearing about is when's the reunion. And it's always just a series of awkward answers. Um, which are I, I try to answer honestly, which is always when the inspiration strikes, that's when we'll do it. That's how Mr. Bungle has always done everything. If there's something to rally around, you know, we'll do it. 
there was never anything to rally around other than the fact that people were saying, when's the reunion? You know, I mean, we were getting offers. You can't even imagine. I can only believe. Yeah. And like that wasn't motivating us. If you can fucking believe that I'm like starving artist situation. But even (laughs) then it's like, no, you know, it's not, not just for that. Wow. So, so Trevor had the, he had the lightning bolt idea of what if we went back and did the, the, the first demo justice, you know, very cool. Let's do that. What if we did that? That did happen on that dead cross tour. He, he brought us all together and said, what about this? So yeah, that it was a big deal. Very cool. And then it percolated into reality, which is, which is awesome. Awesome. I love that you guys played the, those shows and you didn't play any of your hits. That's so Mr. Bungle of you. <laughs> I mean, but then again, how could we, we don't have, we don't have bear. We don't have Danny. Like we don't have this multi-instrumental mm-hmm. setup. It's, it's a two guitar war on the audience which is really different than, you know, the 90s period for Mr. Bungle. Logistically, it's very, very, very different. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Uh, I normally wrap this up with a hangover cure, but uh, I doubt you get hangovers. You seem very, very organized. But if you do ever get a hangover, or you used to get a hangover, what would have been your hangover cure? Well, now it would be um, jumping into a pool. Oh, I've never heard that Because you... No, you're forced to, you know, first there's a shock to the system and then you have to swim. That, that's, you know, I think it's just, just getting your, your body moving and, you know, as long as you don't drown, I think that that would be the way to do it. Awesome. Awesome. Trey, thank you so, so much. Uh, everybody, please go listen to the Raging Wrath of the Easter Bunny demo coming out on October 30th via Ipecac. Uh, I want to say cheers to you. Uh, you're a legend and I'm very, very stoked to have had a chat with you. Likewise. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. What a great chat. What a cool dude. Immediately put me at ease. So open, so warm. I love it. I was nervous, of course, because I am such a huge, huge fan of all of his work. But immediately put me at ease, and I am extremely grateful for that. Get ready for some new, old redone mr bungle people the raging wrath of the easter bunny demo will be dropping this friday via ipecac records and uh, it's gonna be awesome this episode would have never happened if it wasn't for my metal media friends huge shout out to christophe gagne thank you so so much for hooking up this interview i am eternally grateful and extremely stoked that I got the chance to sit down with Trey, and that would not have happened if it wasn't for you. So I owe you a giant beer, dude. If you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, please go and subscribe via the podcast platform of your choice, because I have over 190 episodes that you can go back and listen to and enjoy. Vox and Hops is brought to you by Sound Talent Media. The two-year anniversary episode of Vox and Hops is dropping this friday people get ready that is the cryptopsy vocalist roundtable discussion lord worm mike DeSalvo, martin lacroix myself and it is moderated by bradley Zorgdrager of banger tv and exclaim it's one hell of an episode and it's coming at you this friday but until then remember to enjoy life metal and craft beer cheers vox and hops heads <laughs> This 
is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael, of Otis Redding, of Amy Winehouse, of Michael Hutchins, Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died, why they died, and why we're still talking about them so long after. It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments, the ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember, the ones you're thinking about right now. That feeling. That feeling. It's coming soon from Crowd Network. Just search for Death of a Rockstar on your podcast app. And subscribe now.